Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we are on episode 101. My name is Tyler and of course, as always, I am with Pratik and Nick. So starting with Nick, how are you doing this week? I'm having a lovely week, Tyler. The weather is finally getting nice, but I know a cold front is sweeping in pretty soon. Uh, speaking of things being chilly, we've got a lot going on in the UK. They're basically a global pariah. No one respects them anymore. Pratik, how are you doing? What's going on with you? I'm good. Today I'm in the mood to read stories, so journalist Pratik Patel is back in action. So the first story is UK Prime Minister Liz Truss resigns after 44 days, becoming the shortest Prime Minister in UK's history after failing to deliver on tax cuts plan. So UK Prime Minister Liz Truss resigned Thursday following a failed tax cutting budget that rocked financial markets and which led to a revolt within her own Conservative Party. Truss was in office for just 44 days, making her the shortest serving prime minister in British history. For 10 days of her premiership, government business was paused following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. She said in a statement outside 10 Downing Street, We set out a vision for a low-tax, high-growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I recognize, though, that given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to announce that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. The party is now due to a complete uh, leadership election within the next week. The leading candidates to replace Liz Truss in the Conservative Party vote are former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, former, former Chancellor of the Sketcher Rishi Sunak, former Home Secretary Swella Bweverman, and conservative lawmaker Penny Mordaunt. So after the story that Liz Truss has resigned, what are your thoughts about what's going on in the UK? Well, one thing, Pratik, that I think you'll love is that the day before she resigned, she was facing a major rebellion uh, on fracking, where members of her own party, the Tories, said the green part the green part of the tory party said that they could not vote for this in good conscience and they were going to join with labor in voting against her so even on things like fracking critique even with energy prices being that high in the uk yet another country yet another european country which i know you all love them banning fracking but it looks like that was one of the final things that she ended up debating on before she threw in the towel but to your point it was mostly about the economy as a whole i mean her entire plan was ruinous it went nowhere it immediately crashed the pounds I mean, what, what does she have to show for being in office? 44 days, like you said, the shortest in UK history. It was nothing but bad for the country. And so hopefully they can recover. You know, I, I don't hate the British people at all. But I mean, Liz Trust, I don't know. It, clearly, she, <laughs> she said very little and got even less done. Tyler, what are your thoughts? Well, I thought it was a bit of a confusing plan. So I understand the tax cuts, but you can't cut taxes and then spend money on like universal health care for instance that that just doesn't work in that system and that's what she attempted to do so my thing is is i love liz trust because she's the one candidate that i've ever seen that's become prime minister that has a solution she had a solution and her solution failed so she quit i like that i like politicians that decide that take a stand for something instead of these other politicians that just like to you know complain about a bunch of crap and then they get elected and then they don't do anything and then they get removed and then they start complaining about all the stuff that they could have done whenever they were in office i like liz trust for that reason like we're gonna they're gonna elect boris johnson again probably and boris johnson was one of those prime ministers that did absolutely nothing in his prime ministership he had one of the worst prime ministerships out of all the last four or five prime ministers that they've had in terms of the ideas that he had in terms of policies whenever he ran and then whenever he got elected he was a lame duck politician I like Liz Truss because obviously she didn't last for that long. She was one of the shortest lived prime ministers. But at the same time, she came in, had an idea, had a solution. The solution had holes in it. So then she quit because her own party gave her fuck about the solution. I think we need more politicians like that instead of more politicians that like to talk big game and then when they get elected don't have any actions. At least she had talked big game, had action. When that action didn't work out, she quit. So lose trust, much respect. But is it okay to quit when your actions don't work out? Aren't you responsible somewhat for the fact that you tried something and it didn't work? Wouldn't a real leader come back and try a new plan, try something else to figure it out? Just because the first plan doesn't work just doesn't mean you quit and Maybe. give up. Next. But I feel like all these other leaders don't even have plans. 
They just talk big game about how they're going to change up the system and how they're going to drain the swamp and how they're going to make the country better again. And then in the end of the day, when they don't accomplish anything, well, they just decide to run again or they decide to be in office for a longer period of time. I think at least with Liz Truss, she had an, she had an idea. Her idea had flaws in it, but then she quit whenever that idea didn't work. It is better to have people like that that are straightforward about their ideas not working and failing and and being straightforward that they didn't she didn't agree with their party on what they wanted to do instead of having all these other people that just like to schmooze in their way and to stay in politics forever and become establishments and then not accomplish anything in their entire tenure. At least she was there for 44 days and in her 44 days she tried to make a change and when that change didn't work, she left. Yeah, so the pound rebounded on news that she had resigned. So that's that's sort of good. It's like, all right, well, that's undoing some of the damage that has been done. However, just in terms of the Conservative Party leadership on this, I mean, Pratik, you mentioned that Boris Johnson could be a contender. I mean, let's not forget, he resigned leading up to trust getting into office. So he fully stepped down. It's like, all right, well, what I'm doing is not working anymore. So let's bring on someone new. They bring in trust. She's like, oh, wow. Well, what I'm doing is not working anymore. Let's step down. So it's like, how far down the line do they have to go to the point where they should just hold a general election and go head to head with the Labor Party? I Frankly, I don't think they should do it. Maybe, you know, third time's a charm and they could go with one more. But one more thing that I wanted to say was just that, um, in addition to the healthcare stuff that Tyler mentioned, it was also around energy support bills. Energy bills in the United Kingdom are very, very high to the point where people just aren't able to afford them, working class people. And so one of the things the government did, the Tory government, the conservative government did, was putting together a two-year energy support package that they had passed. It was sort of like mini budget to help families get through these turbulent times in the energy market. Now, when Truss's you know, tax cuts and all the other things with her plan fell out, they lowered it down to six months. And so that sort of austerity, it's not like that was just trust. Those are other people in the conservative party, in the Tory party, who are backing that type of plan and backing that sort of idea. So I'm just not too sure what the party's going to do overall to salvage this big uh, kerfuffle that they've run into. And I mean, who are they going to elect this time around? I really doubt that Boris Johnson would be able to pull anything back when he resigned in the first place. I think um, the leading contenders are probably, I mean, this is obviously Boris Johnson, but I think it's, it would be cool to see an Indian prime minister being Indian myself and two of the top five candidates. They come number two, right? Yeah. And the two before, of the, yeah, yeah, Rushi Sanak was number two before, you know, uh, Liz Trust won. But Rushi Sanak and um, Suela Braverman are both Indi of Indian descent. So it'd be cool to see an Indian prime minister in England because that's never happened before. And I'm from, I'm, I'm Indian, but I'm also not from UK. So it'd just be cool. You can like a third person point of view that, wow, an Indian person got elected in UK. Damn, Pratik, am I hearing you mention that you like identity politics? Mm, I don't know. But speaking of identity politics and with Nick discussing fracking, there was one major incident that happened after the oil production cuts were done by OPEC. So Turkey's foreign, foreign minister, Melvet Kuvisuglu, I think I pronounced his name properly, said in a news conference that America was bullying Saudi Arabia. So after the OPEC cuts. So let me tell you the story. So OPEC Plus announced last week that it would produce 2 million barrels of oil less a day starting in November, curbing supply in an already tight market despite pressure from the United States and other nations to increase output. After the announcement, U.S. President Joe Biden said there will be consequences for American relations with Saudi Arabia after the OPEC Plus move. We see that a country has threatened Saudi Arabia, especially recently. The bullying is not correct. Foreign Minister Melvit Kovasuglu said at a news conference in southern Turkey on Friday, we don't think it's right for the U.S. to use it as an element of pressure on Saudi Arabia or any other country in this way. The U.S. is eager to see Saudi Arabia and OPEC partners pump more oil to help bring down the high cost of petrol and ease the highest U.S. inflation rate in 40 years. The Riyadh-led OPEC cartel and an additional group of 10 other oil producers headed by Russia decided to reduce global output next month. The move is expected to lead to higher oil prices, which would help Russia pay for its war against Ukraine. 
Saudi Arabian um, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Prince Faisal bin Farhan, has said the OPEC Plus decision was purely economic and taken unanimously by its member states. The kingdom also denied it was taking sides over Russia's invasion of Western-backed Ukraine, insisting it had maintained a principled position in support of international law. Saudi Arabia's Defense Minister Prince Khalid bin Salman also said, lastly, that he was astonished by accusations that the kingdom was standing with Russia in his war with Ukraine. So with all this OPEC tension going on, with all the issues going on with their own oil supply because we don't frack as much as we need to, what are y'all's thoughts? What do y'all think? Is Turkey wrong in then saying that they're um, that U.S. is bullying Saudi Arabia? Is Saudi Arabia defending you defending Russia in their um, you know with their, them attacking Ukraine and helping them? What do y'all think about this huge story? Well, Saudi Arabia is self-interested in terms of what's going on. One interesting twist to it is the fact that Iranian drones are showing up in the Ukrainian conflict. Saudi Arabia hates Iran. Iran hates Saudi Arabia. Those are the two where essentially when Iran was pursuing nuclear weapons, still is. But if they were to get them, Saudi Arabia said they would nuclearize themselves. And so there's sort of a lot of tension there where, sure, on the one hand, um, they're very self-interested in terms of just oil revenues. That's all they care about. For them to cut production, whatever the United States says, maybe we have some sort of back-channel negotiations, but it's not going to matter too much. Because again, to them, at any point, part of the reason why Saudi Arabian oil is so pr prominent on the global market is that it's cheap and it's good quality. And they are so it is so cheap and so high quality that it's able to drown out and flood the market such that other producers, actually including Russia, aren't able to compete with them. And that's the whole reason why OPEC has so much power in the first place. Um, in terms of how this is going to play out within, our, within, the, within the context of our gas prices, I don't think it's going to matter too, too much. Um, maybe a little. I mean, oil is a globally traded commodity. And I, I don't know. A lot of states around the world, Britain included with the whole PM fiasco that just happened, they're seeing record high inflation. The United States is not the only country seeing that. And a lot of this, it's the energy crisis that's now global. It's the war in Ukraine. It's a lot of high inflation, just generally, after the COVID pandemic and all the stuff that happened to supply chains there. We all remember that uh, tanker that went sideways in the Strait of Hormuz uh, for a couple of days. But um, I guess we've all forgotten about that. It's the same thing where, I mean, to be honest, Pratik, just like we were talking about with Afghanistan, with abortion, with other issues, you know, the economy is number one, of course, but a story like this is so far down the totem pole that I just don't see it having any sort of staying power. Maybe it'll flare back up after the election. Maybe the Republicans will say, oh, we need to drill more oil. Oh, we need to, you know, load up on leases for federal lands, which the Biden administration is already doing. So I don't know what that much of a difference that would actually make. But uh, those are my two cents. What I would argue with all this stuff is that if America did frack more, if a lot of these other nations did frack more, then we wouldn't be in the same situation that we are where oil prices are through the roof. And half of this stuff happened after the Keystone decision to overturn it and after America started cutting down the amount of oil that it was um, ex exporting and importing. So what main, the big thing that happened before is that obviously whenever Obama was president in 2008, since until now, we weren't really a big trader of OPEC oil until Biden came into office. With the in terms of our own energy mix, when it came to petroleum, we didn't buy that much stuff from Saudi Arabia after the Iraq War. So we kind of limited our um, you know dependence on the Middle Eastern countries after the Iraq War took place. So we'd already cut down on our amount of um, stuff that we were buying from OPEC. And then after, um, you know, after Joe Biden comes back into office, he decides that he's going to reduce the amount of fracking after Democratic coalitions, you know, gave him that uh, put pressure on him to do so. And then this is kind of what led to the thing where when Biden came in, he was very anti Saudi Arabia. He was anti a lot of the stuff that they did. He was very vocal about the Khashoggi murder. And then whenever, you know, Joe Biden came into office, he starts begging Saudi Arabia to produce more oil because obviously when America and all these other countries decide to reduce their oil output and then when Russia invades Ukraine because all the European countries are also stupid because they became dependent on Russia to be 
begin with were in this situation. So I just think personally, my opinion is that America should start fracking more. We should start convincing Canada to frack more because Canada was one of our leader leading um, exporting nations in terms of one of the leading providers to us for our own oil supply. And America was in the path of, um, of being independent when it came to oil supply. But now we're in this situation where we're so dependent on all these crazy countries that unless Russia and Saudi Arabia decide to increase their output, well, America and everybody else is screwed because the high inflation rates throughout the world is because is major, majorly caused because of this incident itself. So I do think it's more important. I think this is more important than all the political stuff going on because if this these prices keep going up, all that's going to happen is all the political stuff is going to be directly impacted by it. If gas prices go up to a major rate by November by the November 8th election, which that's what is predicted to happen, this could potentially shake up the entire election scope. That's my opinion. I I agree, Pratik, and as we transition to Trump being subpoenaed and being called in to this kangaroo court, as I'm, I'm sure you would, uh, would think, <laughs> um, I just wanted to say with Mr. Trump, uh, 2019, we were producing 19,471 million barrels of oil per day. 2020, Trump is still president. That dropped to 18,609 million barrels of oil per day. There are broader things than just policy critique. It's not just who's in charge, Democrats or Republicans. Trump was in office. He was pro-oil. We all know that. But oil production went down. I'm not, because of what was happening globally. I'm not saying so I'm anything saying, against that. All I am saying is that if Trump was in office, we would have started fracking more if all these international tensions were going on. But we haven't fracked that much more. Biden has fracked more. I'm not saying that he hasn't. I'm also saying that Biden has done more in terms of the situation than any of his other Democratic counterparts, which is probably one of the major reasons why he's beating all of them in every single Democratic poll. But I think that's a thing to look at. But that's just my thoughts. But we're let's move on to the Trump story. So January 6th panel subpoenas Trump demanding testimony of what happened on that day. The House committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol formally issued an extraordinary subpoena to Donald Trump on Friday, demanding testimony from the former president who lawmakers say personally orchestrated a multi-part effort to overturn the results of the 2020 election. The nine-member panel issued a letter to Trump's lawyer saying that he must testify either at the Capitol or by video conference beginning on or about November 14 and continuing for multiple days if necessary. The letter also outlined a sweeping request for documents, including personal communications between Trump and the members of Congress, as well as extremist groups. Those are to be turned in by November 4th. Although the committee's deadlines are generally subject to negotiation, we recognize that a subpoena to a former president is a significant and historic action, Chairman Benny Thompson and Vice Chair Liz Cheney wrote in the letter to Trump. We do not take this action lightly. The panel rooted its action in history, listing past presidents John Quincy Adams and Gerald Ford, who testified before Congress after leaving office, and noted that sitting presidents have also responded to congressional subpoenas. Also note, former Trump um, White House advisor Steve Bannon was sentenced to four months in jail on Friday for defying a subpoena for the January 6th panel. So, Based on all this, what are your thoughts on the January 6th panel, on them subpoenaing Trump, and on the precedent because they put Steve Bannon in jail? Thoughts? I think that's the biggest deal here. The fact that Steve Bannon was actually going to be sent to jail for four months is a huge deal because if that happens to Trump, that would mean a president would have been sent to jail over trying to overturn the election results, which half the country believes actually didn't happen and that it's all conspiracy theory and that we shouldn't be buying into it at all. So it's really tough because clearly January 6th was a major incident in our history. It's going to be remembered in the record books, history books. If we, if we want to think that or not, it's going to be there. Um, so us diving into it and trying to figure out exactly what went wrong, I completely understand. But at a certain point where we haven't under, uncovered more evidence, um, what are we going to gain from subpoenaing Trump at this point? 
I, I just don't see what we're going to gain. It only seems like it's going to divide more people. It might help Trump in the long run. I was telling Pratik through text at some point. I was like, look, it's going to help Trump out if he actually gets sent to jail. That means he has such validation that all these people are out to get him and that this election was fake and that they're throwing him in jail over something that wasn't even true at all. And that's what he's going to convince millions and millions of, of Americans. You don't have to believe that yourself, but many people will believe that. And that's going to be incredibly impactful leading to the next election. Who is going to win? That? Do you really want to see Trump winning the election? Maybe this subpoena isn't the best idea. What are you doing except as a Democrat getting political brownie points? That's what I see from this. It's Democrats going, I'm going to pick at Trump so I can have my five minutes of fame and I can get elected. Uh, come my election. I also Nick? see it as Liz Cheney getting a little bit of revenge. I mean, like, all right, fine. You're, you know, voting me out of office, essentially. Trump torpedoed her entirely. I mean, sure, you could say that was on Cheney. It was her vote. And that was Trump's reaction. But at the same time, he is the single person that is responsible for her and the Cheney dynasty being obliterated. So I think there's a personal vendetta there. But like you were saying, Tyler, this is more for the Democrats. Um, I... Unfortunately, I do think that if what you're with what you said, yeah, if he got sent to jail, I think that would provide all the vindication that he needs to go ahead and say, look, I am being persecuted. Look, there is a witch hunt. You need to vote for me. Only I can save the system. There's a reason why they're trying to silence me and you need to give me your vote so we can take our country back. He's going to say that like easy. And you know what? He probably would win. Pratik, how are you feeling about this as a Republican? So, I mean, as I said before, like all of this stuff, whether it's the January 6th panel, whether it's the Mar-a-Lago raid, whether it's the stuff going on in New York where they're trying to ban him from becoming, uh, being a business person in New York, all of this stuff is just giving Trump more limelight. If there was any chance that Trump wasn't going to be a primary, primary like contestant leader come like the Republican primaries once it starts... All of that stuff has kind of faded away. Primaries are coming up soon. And the first thing that's going to happen is Donald Trump is going to be leading in all those primaries. All these people that are currently potentially candidates to run, a lot of them are going to back out if Donald Trump decides that he's going to be the candidate running for president. And all of this stuff does is it's just put, propelling him back into the limelight. Like if January 6th panel didn't happen, if the Mar-a-Lago stuff didn't happen, Let's say Trump didn't have like 16 investigations going on because everyone in like their right mind loves to investigate Trump because they think they're going to stop him from running for president. There's plenty to investigate. Pretend. Yeah, obviously. And then obviously all of that stuff, all of that does is it just creates the chance of him probably becoming president again. And the more and more this stuff happens, it actually leads into what Trump is saying. If Trump is arguing that the election was stolen from him and all this stuff was rigged, if you have a January 6th panel to orchestrate the fact that, oh, Trump did all this stuff, we need to persecute him for it, or we have this raid going on in his house in Florida, or if we have all these other investigations going on that are going after him, his family, all his family members, and people that are affiliated with Trump organization... All of that's all that stuff does is it just makes you as a Republican be like, I have to vote for Trump now. It doesn't, it kind of kills all the other options. Like if Ron DeSantis had a chance, like he is probably the second highest front runner there is after Donald Trump. If, if with DeSantis too, another benefit is that he's the only one that's beating Joe Biden in some of the polls compared to Trump and all the other Democrats are all losing against Joe Biden. So more than likely it's going to be Trump Biden. But Ron DeSantis has that chance where if Republicans start thinking about general election, who's going to have a higher chance of winning, Ron DeSantis has a better chance. But in the end of the day, all this does is it just makes sure that Donald Trump will be the candidate. And the more and more of this stuff happens, all it's doing is it's just make, paving the way for Trump to become the next president of the United States. And I don't think it's benefiting Democrats at all. If anything, they should shut down all these panels. They should shut down all these investigations, quit talking about Trump, and Trump will like fall apart. Because all of all Trump's main thing is that he has to be in the news. And if Trump is in the news, he's going to use it to beat everybody else. Yeah, but guess what? Trump's about to get his weapon back. 
as Elon Musk purchases Twitter at the end of this month, we know Trump's going to get back onto Twitter simply because Elon Musk is a savvy businessman. And while it's very controversial, he knows he needs attention for a platform he just overpaid for. So the first thing he do, he's going to do, slam Trump on him, put him on the front page so everyone gets to see what Trump's saying, and then just watch the fireworks uh, go about. And that's exactly what I think is going to happen. This is only going to end up helping him. Nick, you're trying to say something? Kind of oh, I was just going to say, I think he could be the only person more hated in America right now than Elon Musk. I mean, Elon's been left and right. He's kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party. He's going up after Vladimir Putin trying to respond to the Russians. You know, it, it's just bad looks after bad looks for Elon. And so, yeah, I think partly, I don't know, just on a personal note, Elon seems like someone who wants to be liked. And so for him to put Trump back on the page, I think it would be good for him. It would take the heat off, you know? I think... Well, I don't even think it's a want to be liked. I think it's best for the platform in terms of publicity. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be in the news 24-7 having tweets. And the no, you're other right, thing you're right. is that we keep... Y'all keep talking about how people don't like Trump. Half the other side of the country that everybody forgets about that, you know, are like the reasons why he won in 2016, the reason why he won in his presidential primary. You know we didn't say that. I know. You know we don't but believe that. I'm just <laughs> saying. Like, and sure, all those people are going to love Elon Musk once he reinstates Trump back into Twitter. Elon Musk might be one of the most, like, trending people in the country if that happens. Because Democrats are going to obviously hate Elon Musk because they hate anybody affiliated or close to or potentially voting for Trump. And then you got Elon Musk. I mean, he's only a billionaire. He owns all this crap. He's going to come up with the next robot. And on top of everything else, well, he's going to put Trump back into Twitter. So Elon Musk, man, you're, go well, you're hopefully, going for Hopefully he makes all the Republicans environmentalists. <laughs> You'll get them all driving electric Maybe. cars. Maybe. Then Democrats are going to become anti-electric cars. <laughs> Dude, if Elon Musk <laughs> tells all not. these Republicans to start buying Teslas and they all start buying Teslas, Democrats are going to have like a whole like shakeup in their own system. And they're going to be like, well, like yeah, all the other issues, not. whether it's immigration, Critique. whether it's any of these other policies, whenever Republicans take a stand on it and go first head on with He's it on a roll, the man. democrats just like decide to flake out and create a whole new idea because once electric cars take off if elon musk propels all these republicans to do that democrats are going to become <laughs> anti-electric cars because that's what democrats and republicans do when one side takes the mantle the other side becomes the anti Classic. I mean, in general, I want to agree with you, but it's just so dumb. I don't know. Like, if Republicans got electric cars, Democrats would just say, oh, look, they're hypocrites, okay? They're, they're getting the same thing they're, like, railing against. Every time a Republican goes on TV, even, like, I hate to use MTG as an example or whatever. I remember when she was That's like, your oh, only example, though. because he's driving an electric car. No, Ted Cruz also is against electric vehicles. You have other senators who are opposed to subsidies for them, for instance, and yet at the same time, we'd say, oh, we want to make more stuff in America. And it's like, OK, well, all these EV subsidies are going towards American companies who are hiring American workers and manufacturing these things in the United States, which, again, I don't know. We've talked about this in the past in the show where neither party seems to care too much about, you know, the deficit. Although the Biden administration, it's been cutting it down compared to what Trump had it at. So I don't think Republicans <laughs> are going to give him any credit for that. But Nick has just jokes. How it is. But um, speaking of. No, that's a fact, Pratik. That is literally a fact. Hold on, hold on. Elon Musk does not need your votes. That's the difference. He's not a politician. It doesn't matter if you like him. This more has to do with Trump, in my opinion, than Elon Musk. He's going to make his money if his products are useful. But Trump's going to make him money because he's going to be useful for the platform and getting them attention. But moving on, what do we got? Washington Times. Conservative outlet. Federal deficit cut in half, ends the year at $1.4 in the red. And you know all that's going to happen if you give him another four or five years. He's going to have a bunch of new plans that come out when he has this Build Back Better plan. All that's going to do is it's going to lead to more inflation. And if you really want Biden to be elected, his, like, you know, his people to be elected again and Biden to be elected again, then we're going to have Medicare for all. We're going to give everybody Medicare I, because I don't, everybody don't forgot about that plan. But Biden was one of the main people that was in support of that plan. 
Now he literally wasn't. That was Bernie Sanders. They were all in support of that plan. But then when Bernie and him decided to run against each other after all these other people got canceled out, Biden took the anti on the Medicare for all plan, and Bernie became the fa- the main guy for the Medicare for all ban. So right now we have was. the same Medicare plan. But you know, give him another four years, he doesn't have anything to lose. So then we're gonna have more deficits than we had before. But now on to our next story. Speaking of personal deficits now let's talk about you know the student relief plan so federal appeals courts temporarily blocks biden's student debt relief plan u.s eighth circuit court of appeals have temporarily blocked president biden's student relief forgiveness plan halting any debt from being erased but the administration is encouraging people to continue submitting their applications the friday evening ruling comes less than a week since the application portal went live Already nearly 22 million people, more than half of qualified buyers, have signed up. The administration could have begun processing applications and changing loan balances beginning Sunday. We talk about deficits, kind of falls into this. But this was blocked, resulting from a lawsuit where six states, Arkansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, and South Carolina, had previously filed a lawsuit arguing that the federal relief plan would hurt state-based loan companies that manage some federal loans themselves. Earlier this week, a federal judge dismissed the case saying that it has no standing. The group then appealed and asked a federal appeals court to place a temporary hold on the program while the appeals court reveals the, reviews the case. The order does not reverse the trial court's dismissal of the case or suggest that the case has merit, White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre said. The temporary order does not prevent borrowers from applying for relief, and she encouraged eligible borrowers to do so if they haven't already. The application on studentaid.gov remains open. So what are your thoughts on this? We talked about deficit kind of. All this would do, 22 million people have already enrolled. So that means 22 million people are going to get more government funding to wipe out their student loans. But then this has been appealed by the appeals court. So now what is your thoughts on all this? Do you think anything happens? Do you think this continues to go on as planned? Or does this hurt Biden come midterms because November 8th is just around the corner? I don't think the midterms are going to shift that much. But I mean, Tyler, I want to get you in on this. Prateek. Let me let me just lay a question in, Tyler, then you go, and then Pratik respond to the question. So my question is this, which gets raised a lot by Democrats. It's Republicans are very opposed to the student debt relief stuff. But then when you have Republican politicians who have gotten PPP loan forgiveness it's not the hundreds same of thousands to the millions, they don't care at all about that. I think it's different. Do you not think that's hypocritical? It's not. Because the PPP loan, in order to apply for a PPP loan, you have to go through a lot of processes. They look at your financial statements. They look at your accounts. Whatever bank you go to, or whenever you go to the SBA, obviously, when you go to the SBA bank, they're going to, they do a thorough review of the process. Many, many times, many of the PPP loans were rejected during the time, and some of them were accepted. I don't think it's the same thing as a student loan, because when a government gives out a student loan, when a government gives out a student loan, they're not really looking at the kid like at the kid's credit history. They're just giving out the free student loan. And then they expect that money to be paid back over a certain period of time. It's a very different scenario. I don't think you can compare PPP to that. Also with the PPP loan, that's a temporary thing. It happened once. Also, many of the people that had get, were given PPP loans, the SBA is going hardcore at trying to get those back. Right now, all these businesses that, I mean, I know myself, we're doing the same thing. We're all having to pay back all these SBA loans that we were given from the PPP loan. So it's a different scenario. It's not the same thing. I think when the student forgiveness plan, all this stuff, there's a lot more people that are even getting the loan. 22 million people have already applied. That's only going to increase over time because this is not a one-time thing. If they do this now, they're going to do this again and they're going to do this again. So I don't think it's the same thing. Plus with the PPP loans and when it comes to businesses like that, those businesses are benefiting other people by getting that loan because they're going to be able to provide that price for whatever the product that they're providing at a cheaper price. And when inflation rates are this skyrocketed, that can actually benefit consumers. 
So I don't think it's the same thing. Plus, at the same time, a lot of the people that are medic that, that are doctors and lawyers and people that have accumulated loans that are making a lot more now are getting this. They're getting this amount of money. The people they're that are not they, are, they are they are they are because if you're a medical cap. student, if you're making over one hundred twenty-five thousand right, dollars a year, you how much it. money does a medical student make whenever they're in college? If they're in college for eight to 10 years and they're going through the process and then they do residency, they're the ones that are the main recipients of this loan because they're taking on more student loans than that person that's studying a medical, like studying to be like a bachelor of arts in some random degree. Those people are taking but on more money. 10, 000, and have you yeah, ever 10, seen, have you ever yeah. seen how much, a, how much, have you ever seen how much it costs to go to law school? In order to go to law school, people spend a lot of money. And then on top of that, when you are in law school, you can't take on any jobs until you're, fi you're finished with law school. So law school takes three years. Then you have to take the bar exam. If you fail the bar exam, then you got to take that bar exam again. And that same, in that yeah, time period, you're not making money. So what the argument is, is that if you are a medical professional, if you are a lawyer that is in training, those people, until they make a lot of money, because in order to become a doctor, you're going to be in school or college for like 10 years, basically, because you're either doing residency and all this other stuff, which is all counts into that process, it's going to take you a while before you become a doctor. With a lawyer, it's three years, but you're spending a you know arm and a leg to become a lawyer. So I don't think it's the same thing. These people are going to get hurt more. Obviously, if you're not making anything, sure, but how many people that are like doing like, you know, small jobs that are desk clerks or people that are, you know, handle or waiters or people that are in like, you know, fast food restaurants, those people are not probably don't probably have a college education. So this stuff doesn't really apply to them. So again, I think PPP loan, this stuff, very different. I don't think it's hypocritical. If anything, Democrats are pleasing are pleading to those people that are students to vote for them. And if you've seen in the polls, student loans, this student loan forgiveness stuff has actually boosted them up more in the polls than any of their other policies that they've had since Biden's been in office. So I just think that is not the same thing, but you are benefiting those particular students that took on graduate degrees and took on those particular you know educational requirements or people that became medical students and lawyers you're not benefiting the low income class you're benefiting the people that are middle class that took on these big degrees and are still in college or trying to pay for it and it's going to take them another 10 years since being in the job that they'll finally be able to pay it all off so i i would say looking at the comparison of the ppp loans I, for me it's a little different of a situation the COVID was a crisis where people were being bailed out for reasons that weren't necessarily on them. Um, I understand fraud's obviously a big issue. No one wants to see that, but that's not something necessarily we can control. I think the intention was there. The problem with this student relief is everyone chose to take on that burden. Whether it's right that they have to take on that amount of burden to go get an education, I mean, clearly that's up for debate. I don't think that that yeah. should be so. This whole situation's caused by the loans in the first place. They just kept jacking up their prices. We took on bigger and bigger loans. The whole system is just stupid altogether. And because of that, we've come to a tipping point. People are frustrated. So we're giving them a Band-Aid fix. And we're going to be constantly running into the situation because nothing actually changed. Um, but I still wouldn't compare it to the PPP loans exactly, but I still think it's pretty stupid overall. Not because people shouldn't be getting relief, but you have to have some sort of pathway <coughs> to make this a permanent fixture of the system we have. Because if you don't, we're going to keep running into this. And at, at what point is it a universal education where if you're not taking on debt, you're just paying for other people to get education? That just seems silly. Why, like Pratik said, if I don't go to college, why should I have to pay and bail out other people that choose to take on debt to go to college? Why should I have to do that for people gaining specialties and postgraduate degrees? That seems like an area where maybe it's not necessary to live a decent life to get a postgraduate degree. Maybe college is, and we can have that debate, but that's not the debate we had. So those are my thoughts. That's very fair. I think that's a good comparison that you drew between choosing to take on the debt versus something like you know, COVID coming, which no one really anticipated. And then that suddenly wiping out your business, very different things. So I agree. But I will disagree with Pratik and you on the fact that this doesn't help a whole lot of Americans. And I just don't think it's that bad of an idea. There are well, a lot of regular no, people. I, I no, neither think it of does. us have said that it doesn't help say, do Americans, it does but it's going to help a specific group of Americans. I just Americans. don't think it permanently, yes, I don't think it helps us Pratik, over the time. the way you framed it, for example, you're saying, oh, 
we can't do this for the millions of Americans who are not doctors and lawyers just because it's going to help a small mm. amount of doctors All and I'm lawyers. saying is and they're all graduate program students. Whether you're a doctor, whether you're a medical doctor, them, no. or whether you're one of those other doctors, you know, the people that get but graduate see, that's degrees. That's not the majority of the people who have debt. That doesn't, it doesn't matter who has debt and who doesn't have debt. I'm saying it that does. if you're giving it money to does. graduate students, that falls into that platform. And in the end of the day, whether you're a student, whether you're not a student, it doesn't matter. Everybody is paying for it. You're paying for them. I'm paying for them. The person that's a waiter at some restaurant is paying for them that doesn't have a college degree. Everyone is in the same cycle. And all I'm saying is, yeah, sure. The I, problem with the system, I agree. The education system is messed up. Why are we ripping off students to go to public school? It makes zero sense. You're paying taxes. You're paying taxes. Why do I have to pay more for textbooks when the government should be providing all that crap for me to free? Like the fact is that we're going to college to get an education. If you don't get an education, you're gonna be that waiter working at a restaurant. You're not gonna be working in some big firm or trying to move up in the world. But then graduate degree is different, whether you wanna be a doctor, lawyer, all that stuff. That's a different situation. But those all fall into the graduate degree programs. So I am just saying that in the end of the day, it's a maybe a decent idea. But the fact is, is that you're going to add to the debt. You're going to create problems. In the future, you're gonna create a precedent because every time this kind of stuff happens where college becomes too expensive because the government likes to rip people off and they like to give out all these predatory loans to all their people, all these kids that don't have any credit history, all you're leading to is just creating more and more of a problem. And in the end of the day, we're just gonna have more expensive colleges, we're gonna have more expensive textbooks, and then you're gonna make it more expensive for people to go to school, and then the government is just gonna pay for everybody's education. Like, it doesn't help with anything. It's just the government is winning in all different directions, and these kind of bills allow them to do that. You're not accomplishing anything. You're just creating the system to continue because obviously you sh we should all pay more to go to public colleges. It makes sense. That's fair, Pratik. I think we should do more on education. I think we could probably table this at this point. I just wanted to say, it's not like it's just, I just wanted to be very clear that this isn't just helping doctors and lawyers. It's not just helping people with master's degrees. The majority of the people this is going to help are people who just have a plain old college education or maybe they're the first in their family to ever go to college. And now they're saddled with tons of debt and it seems like they're never going to get out of it. Like you were saying, it could take many, many years, but I just think that this is providing some relief to a lot of Americans where, you know, you would like to think, Hey, you have a college degree. You must be crushing it in life. I just don't think that's the case for quite a few people where this type of debt just compounds on itself and it ends up suppressing what, I don't know. It's like you could have a bunch of people, um, where Tyler, you raised your hand actually, or are you going to say? So fatigue, would you not agree? It's more helpful to focus on like the majority and not like the outliers in a yeah. situation, because while I don't disagree with aspects of the bill, we talked about all that. I've, I've made my points very clear. Um, it's only a small percentage of them that are, let's say medical students. And at the end of the day, if anyone should benefit, I have no problem benefiting medical students. I know how tough that is. I know how crazy their hours are. I know how valuable their work is for me. That's not a big investment, but like I said before, the whole idea, it doesn't really fix the problem. So because of that, I'm just not going to. And I think we can all agree on that, right? This is not a permanent solution. Yeah, it's I, I agree. That's yeah. my only issue. And again, I don't really care if it's medical students. That, I don't well, really care if it's lawyers. My only argument is that you're benefiting college students in general. So yeah, sure, you're benefiting college students, you're benefiting graduate students, but the fact is that you're basically making everybody pay for these people. And I mean, obviously that's great. You can make an argument that we pay for all these other things all, all anyway, but the fact is that this is one of those issues where you're creating this problem where the problem has already happened because of the government itself, because they're making it more predatory to their population by making them pay so much so much money to go to school and making them giving them all these loans at high interest rates so they force them to have to pay it back without having any analysis or looking at any like documentation on whether they can or they can't. I just think that's my issue. But I think we've talked about this enough. Let's move on to the next topic because I don't think we're going to change anything. And similar to this thing having a lot of issues, let's talk about Biden. Because Biden is trying to appeal to the Democratic population by listing several issues about what's going on so then they go vote in November.
So Biden is trying to be everything to everyone, but that's making it harder for him to say to stay focused on any single issue above all others as he tries to counter Republican momentum going into the November 8 elections. This is an AP story, so it's not opinionated. There's no one thing Biden said Wednesday when questioned about his top priority. There's multiple, multiple, multiple issues, and they're all important. We ought to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. You know that old expression, well, President Joe Biden wants to tame inflation. He wants Congress to protect access to abortion. He wants to tackle voting rights. And he's taking on China, promoting construction of new factories, addressing climate change, forgiving student debt, pardoning federal marijuana convictions, cutting the deficit, working to lower prescription drug prices, and funneling aid to Ukraine. Well, I got kind of tired saying it, but that's Biden's exhaustive, uh, exhaustive to-do list. And that's what he's trying to do to make an appeal to Democratic to the Democratic coalition on November 8th to go vote for him and vote for his party in the, in the midterms election. Obviously, he's not in the race, but he is the leading, he's the president, he is the leader, he's winning in all the polls, so Biden's word does mean something. And in the 2020 election, AP VoteCast suggested that Biden do dis disproportionate support from women, black voters, voters younger than 45, college graduates, city dwellers, and suburbanites. So the question remains, has Biden expanded or kept the existing coalition that you know voted for him in 2020, or has his presidency made those constituencies look the other direction? So, Nick and Tyler, what are your thoughts on what Biden's doing to try to appeal voters to go vote November 8th? I mean, he basically just put out a wish list, a dream wish list of all Democrats. I mean, pretty much everything on here, most people would agree with. It's like, yeah, we should tame inflation. Fuck yeah. But if he could have tamed inflation, wouldn't he have not done it already? Or is that just more to do with the Fed and just things outside of the president's control? What is he going to do to tame inflation? What is he going to do to ensure abortion rights for, for, for women? Like he's like, they actually need to push legislation through. Is that going to happen? Who knows? He doesn't like, I don't, I have no idea. So at the end of the day, I think it's a good list. I think Democrats are receptive to this kind of messaging, but is he actually going to get most of this done? Probably not. And, you know, that's just politics. So there you go. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that's a nice wish list. If it all comes true, I would love it. Probably vote for him again, but we'll see. We will see. I definitely would not be voting for a man who is near and dear to my heart, like so many Americans, Michael Pence. <laughs> Speaking of Michael Pence, he teases for a possible run for president himself while touring states that hold early presidential contests. This is the best thing ever, by the way. I'm so happy that, that Pence might run for president. I think it's going to be amazing content for us. <laughs> so show. Mike Pence teases for a possible run for president himself while touring states that hold early presidential contests. Former Vice President Mike Pence on Wednesday appeared to hold back from supporting Donald Trump if the former president were to run again in 2024 and become the Republican nominee. Well, there might be someone else I'd prefer more. Pence said in a Georgetown University event late Wednesday when asked if he would support Trump, if he is the GOP nominee for president, what I can tell you is, I have every confidence that the Republican Party is going to sort out leadership. Pence continued, all my focus has been on the midterm elections, and I'll stay that way for the next 20 days. But after that, we'll be thinking about the future, ours and the nation's, and I'll keep you posted. Pence's remarks are the latest possible indication that he's considering a run for president himself. He appeared to edge closer to confirming plans for a 2024 run during a New Hampshire event last August, where he said, I never spent a lot of time in New Hampshire, but I may someday. The former vice president said at the event, referring to the state's tradition of holding the nation's first presidential primary. So obviously this is a comp compilation of a bunch of stories. We don't know if this is fact or not. There are people that have all these rumors that he's going to run and Liz Cheney's going to run and Ron DeSantis hasn't even, uh, you know, given his nomination that he's going to run. But we all know everything and we know Mike Pence might run for president. So based on the news and knowledge that we do know but from all these sto sources from NBC News, 
news and CBS that like to throw out a bunch of stuff that they think is factual, but they don't know it's all opinionated. What are y'all's thoughts? Do y'all think that Mike Pence is going to run? How would that look in terms of a 2022 presidential election or in terms of the primaries? What's how? What impact is that going to make? Because obviously he's not going to be the front runner. He's not going to be the number two. He's probably going to start out at number three unless some other person decides that he's going to put their hat in the race. So what are your thoughts? Michael Pence is going to get creamed. He is going to get crushed. Someone is going to take that custard tart of a face that he has and grind it into the ground. He is going to get destroyed. The Republican Party does not like Mike Pence. Republican voters don't like Mike Pence. MAGA Republicans, as much as Joe Biden has said, and frankly, I agree with him, I'm not a huge fan, but Mike Pence, they hate Mike Pence, okay? Regardless of what you think about what happened on January 6th, did Michael Pence look good to anyone? Did he look good to anyone during the entire Trump presidency where he was essentially a mute doll sitting in the background at any time? No one remembers a word that Mike Pence said during the entire four years of the Trump presidency. No one remembers a word he said after the presidency. He's been completely silent. In fact, me personally, I have heard more from one of his spokespersons calling Matt Gates a pedophile than I have heard from Mike Pence himself. So I just don't know how he would ever run and get anywhere because a lot of people know Mike Pence. It's not a question of raising awareness, but do they like him? No. Tyler, what are your thoughts? I take a little issue. So I agree with what you said, but I disagree. Is he going to get creamed? Absolutely. He stands zero chance. He doesn't have a chance with the MAGA voters. He doesn't have a chance with the non-MAGA voters. I don't know who he appeals to, but he was vice president. It's a pretty powerful position. And typically when you're VP, you're expecting to one day become president. So it's something that might, maybe something he's looking at. Let's look at what kind of a, a candidate uh, Mike is. He, he is uh, anti-abortion. So if you're anti-abortion... Maybe that, if you're pro-life, maybe that's the candidate for you, if that's your one single issue. Apart from that, you have no reason to vote for Mike Pence. But where I disagree with you, in terms of uh, Mike Pence under Trump and on January 6th, I, I completely disagree. So in Trump's presidency, when COVID hit especially, he took on all of the COVID effort for their department. Trump didn't really do any of the, the lifting. It was Pence being up pretty much all day and night trying to figure out all the logistics of solving the issues to do with COVID. Trump didn't do any of that. So while I understand you were thinking like he was in the background and all that, I actually do think he was trying to do things. I don't think he could have outspoken Trump in any way, nor do I think Trump would have treated him well if he did. He was in a very tough spot, especially since he's not as charismatic as Trump in the way that Trump is, where he can just attack you and make people just go after you. He's a very soft, not soft-spoken, he's well-spoken. He's just not an attack dog, and I just don't think he would have survived very well. And on January 6th, a lot of people would have respect for Mike Pence for saying, no, I'm not going to overturn the results of this election. I don't think that's just. I don't see the evidence that this should be done. And because of that, I'm not going to make this happen. And I think that's that could be seen as an honorable stand. Not that many Americans see it that way. But he did on principle say, I don't see evidence this was a fraudulent election. Why should I Well, not just it? that. And that's he, what he at, did. At um, Federalist Society, he said that this is back in Florida a while back. He said that he didn't have the power to do it. He's like, look, I know President Trump said I had the power to overturn the election. I did not. President Trump was wrong. And for him to say that, I don't know, Tyler, I get what you're saying about him saying more, doing more during COVID. And I will concede, I did not know that much about his involvement there. So good on Mike Pence for that. But at the same time, as a vice president, you are framing yourself within the former presidency. That's what Al Gore was doing when he was running. It was his work within the Clinton presidency. That's what H.W. did when he ended up running within the Reagan presidency and whatnot. That's what uh, Biden did running within the Obama presidency, kind of off the coattails. It's like, hey, I was involved in the administration. I was the number two person. You like this administration? You're going to like me. You should vote for me. I'm a great pick. Mike Pence, it's like, okay, if you like Trump, do you like Mike Pence? I'm not so positive. I think a lot of people would vote more for I Trump agree with you, or though. someone like Trump, like DeSantis, over Pence. And so in that way, I just think he's going to fall flat on his face. And I agree that he is. I, I, just wanted, I just wanted to say that there was at least the other side. Someone could have that perspective. I personally don't. 
So I think in terms of poll numbers, it's important to discuss this, obviously. So there's a mixed um, bag of what's going on. So when there was a poll um, with YouGov that had DeSantis, Trump, Pence, Owens, Cruz, Rubio, Haley, Romney, Abbott, Pompeo, Tim Scott, Cotton Scott, Noam, Kasich, Cheney, Hogan, Grinelli, and Bolton, the big poll... Like, I don't think all those people are going to run. But in the situation where all 19 potential candidates run, Trump uh, Trump got 17%, Pence got 13%, and DeSantis got 36%. That was one of the first polls that DeSantis is actually winning. That was a YouGov poll conducted from October 13 to October 17. But then your regular polls that don't have like 19, 20 candidates... Um, like Siena College's poll that took what took place on October 9th to 12th, Trump was a leader at 47%, DeSantis at 28%, and then Pence at 7%, Haley at 4%, Ted Cruz at 3%, and Mike Pompeo at 2%. So I don't know how the poll stuff is going to happen, but generally speaking, when Trump is polled against people that will probably run, Trump wins. But then when there's a poll of like 20 plus people of all the potential candidates, DeSantis has a little bit of an edge. But then the issue is, is that Pence, and generally speaking, when there's less people, he doesn't really have a chance. But in that one poll, Pence did do better than all the other potential candidates. So I think it's important to look at that, just to, you know, put it in the back burner. I don't know how many people really like Pence. I don't really like Pence. But the fact is that he probably does have some group. And again, if this was conducted by all the people that are Republican and Democrat, which we don't know who is all the people involved in this poll, especially that one poll with like 19, 20 different people, in that situation, like the situation would be that Democrats would probably support Mike. I don't know if it's But two. the fact is that how many, no, no, but just in, if you were to vote in a Republican poll, like if it was just Republicans and you were voting in a poll, Many people would support Mike Pence over these other people like Trump, DeSantis, Pence, Haley, Cruz, Pompeo. Like you, Nick, would you support Mike Pence over those other six people? Me personally, no, personally? but I guess maybe I'm not representative. Okay. Then. I mean, I still remember the memes yeah. early on where it was like, oh, what if Trump were to, you know, ingest too many cheeseburgers and pass out in office? <laughs> like Mike Pence being in charge, people are like, oh, my God, that would be terrible. Like, this guy is, like, the most extreme and hardcore on so many issues. That would be awful. You so. know what's funny, though? You know what's funny, though? There was a time whenever I was younger and Barack Obama was president, and people would think that. Like, what if what if Obama was assassinated? Well, that's much worse because Joe Biden <laughs> will become president. That's probably torture. Who was that guy? He kind of looks like a serial killer. He's not in it. He's, like, old. Well, At that we time, we used to all think that stuff. Like, you know, whenever we were younger, obviously, then Biden became president. He's leading in all the polls. Ain't no nobody ever seen a Democratic poll again where Biden isn't the front runner and isn't winning. So I just think this is a weird situation. But hey, that's all we got. So Tyler, lead us on to our final story about the pause. Yeah, so we're talking about polls here. We got the election. I actually think he does have some sort of Christian, conservative, non-MAGA base, those 2% of Republicans. But what about Biden? Is Biden going to be running in the next election? So recently, uh, President Biden had drew, drawn criticism from social media after responding with a long pause when asked in an interview uh, if the First Lady Jill Biden would support him running for office again in 2024. So MSNBC's Jonathan Capehart asked Biden about a 2024 run in a clip that aired on Friday. So Biden took a pause, looked down at the floor, and took him about 10 seconds to come up with an answer. And the actual interviewer said, Mr. President, as if he was like dozing off or not paying attention when he was thinking about this. It was clear to me that there was something in Biden's head telling him that either Jill Biden doesn't want him to run because he's, you know, He's an old and maybe not as competent as he used to be or because she wants to spend the rest of her life with her husband, not being the president of the United States, not laying everything down for the country. And those, while, you know, to the public might not be a big deal, I think personally for Biden might impact his decision. Is he going to be running or not? It was a family decision not to run when his son had passed away, um, you know, when Trump got elected. So maybe something similar might happen here. We don't know. Polls will be yeah, damned. That's exactly it. I agree with you, Tyler. I think Joe Biden... Overall, I mean, you can see some of the stuff with Hunter where I still think Hunter's a dumpster fire, but at least Joe is someone who loves his son despite his son's flaws. 
So that's that's the thing. He's not like, a deadbeat. Biden himself, I think, in all. terms of just personally, you can disagree with the man on policy. You can disagree with all sorts of stuff. Just in terms of how much he cares about his family, it's apparent that he does a lot. And so I, I just think that if Jill really was pushing for him not to do another term, I think he would take that seriously. So, you know, whether or not we're reading too much in the, this pause, you know, I, I think it's very legitimate to think like, hey, Jill probably doesn't want him to run. Like you were saying, he's getting up there in age. He's probably like, hey, you know, this is the love of my life. I want to spend time with you before, uh, you know, it's not like, for example, looking at old photos of like Bush aging in office or Obama aging in office or Clinton aging in office. It's like Joe was already old when he got into office, right? <laughs> like you can, you can only age so much. So like that takes years off a person's life. And I, I just don't know. I think at a certain point, it's like, all right, well, you did one term. You gave it your all. And now it's time to just, you know, relax with the grandkids, you know? Not That's just true. one term. I mean, he's given 50 plus years of service to the United States. At this point, is it really a duty to continue forward or is his duty to step down? I think, I think one thing, too, That's a question. is that Biden is the only candidate. Again, we've been talking about polls, so might as well just continue it. Biden is the only candidate that has always won in every single poll for the most part since 2019 to now. Whether he's polled with 20 people, whether he's polled with four people, whether he's polled against President Trump, or whether he's polled against DeSantis, Biden consistently wins. None of the other options that Democrats have win. And if Biden is not a candidate, so this was a McLaughlin Associates poll. So I talked about the YouGov people. These people decided to do a poll of 23 different people. So there's people I've never heard of. And then it's like Michelle Obama is number two at 12%. Kamala Harris at nine. Bernie at eight. Hillary Clinton at five. O'Rourke at five. Buttigieg at four. Ocasio-Cortez at three. And then it's like a whole list of a bunch of other random people that I've never heard of. But they're probably important. I think there's Gillibrand's Senator Cuomo, Manchin, Klobuchar, Winfrey, I don't know who that is, Hickenlooper, who was the governor of Colorado, Tim Kaine. But my point is that there's a bunch of other candidates. But out of all those people, Biden is constantly number one. And then if you look at smaller polls, which is just between Biden, Sanders, Harris, and Buttigieg, Biden has 44%, Bernie has 20%, Kamala Harris is 17%, Buttigieg is 15%. I just think that... Democrats are stupid if they don't choose this guy to be their like candidate just because he's always winning in all his polls. Like regardless of whether I like him or don't like him because obviously we all know I don't like Joe Biden, I don't like the Democratic Party, I don't like any other Democratic politicians, but from a Republican perspective, if I was to see a Democrat become president, do you really think I would support Buttigieg or Bernie or Kamala Harris or Ocasio-Cortez or Elizabeth Warren? Probably not. So I just think that this something that Democrats have is that for whatever reason, because Joe Biden is so old, because Joe Biden is more is less progressive than his counterparts, because Joe Biden you can't really title as a socialist, because Joe Biden he's not about being anti-fracking compared to all the other Democratic counterparts, because he was the only one that said that we should at least frack a little bit, he has some chance. And I think in that kind of weird situation, like Biden, I mean, I don't like the guy personally, same way Nick doesn't like Trump personally, but I'd be stupid to say that Joe Biden shouldn't be the candidate of the Democratic Party. He's the incumbent president. He's up in all his polls. Whether you like him or whether you don't like him, he, I mean, he appeals more to the Democratic population than a lot of these other people do. And the fact is that he's there. So worst case, Joe Biden dies when he's in office. But the fact is that Joe Biden is winning in all his polls. And even Kamala Harris has dropped down because Kamala Harris used to be like the top front runner. Now Michelle Obama's in the race. She doesn't even have any political experience. So I think it's one of those that we just have to look at it in this weird situation and to look back and just look at poll numbers because polls, generally speaking, are always usually correct. And even when they've been wrong, it's with a margin of error. And even Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump in the popular vote. Well said, Pratik. I love the fact that our most uh, Trump-supporting person on the show is the most in favor of the polls. I find that very funny. <laughs> but with that, we're going to be closing out episode 101. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to catch you next week for episode 102. So, later.